Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They were tetchy. That's one way of putting it, tetchy. Riotous is another word that's been used. Total shouting match at Stormont. This is 2019. I thought all that had been done away with. You know, in decades gone by, even in the workplace, people roared and shouted at each other. You don't get that now. This is, as I say, did I say 2019? It's now 2020. It is. You know what I mean? It's even further on than I thought it was. We should be We should be developing. Let me speak to Alison Morris in Irish News, who I'm sure has never shouted at anyone. Good morning, Alison. <laughs> Good morning. You know what I mean? There was a time, and maybe you worked in an industry as well where people did raise their voices and shout and point fingers that it, it's it's old hat that now why would our politicians be doing it oh i've worked in some quite raucous newsrooms in in the past but yeah i think that what we've seen over the christmas break we were heard before christmas that we were very close to receiving a deal and then the secretary did something very unusual by coming out and saying it was the DUP that were delaying the process. Then we had the, the season of goodwill, which clearly wasn't goodwill up in Stormont. And since the talks have started again, they actually seem to be going backwards and in reverse. So there was a lot of positivity before Christmas that we were very close to a deal, that the deal could be reached by the deadline. And we're in the last week. The 13th of January is the deadline when civil servants no longer have the, the powers and when legislation the delay an election runs out um, and things are getting quite heated and quite hot and heavy and what we heard yesterday was there were statements made by Gregory Campbell over the weekend. I was working on Sunday and he released a, a press release which seemed to dismiss any chance of there being an Irish language act, no agreement on an Irish language act and then they went straight into the talks again yesterday and you can see that as we're getting down to these sort of final few issues that remain outstanding that those sort of old rivalries and those old differences are now starting to come to the fore. And yes, it is unusual for it to end in a shouting match. But the fact that, that um, you know, tensions are so high, the fact that emotion around this is so high, and I think that what the DUP have done is what they did in February 2018. They've allowed a gap, they've allowed a breathing space over the Christmas, and into that breathing space and into that gap has came those who within the, the harder lines of the DUP, those within the Orange Order who still have influence, who have come in a cold, cold, cold water on, on any chance of a deal and ruled out agreeing to an Irish language act in any form. But are, are we at that point where an Irish language act in any form is being ruled out or is it not more like an Irish language act dressed up in some other guise being acceptable to get people off a hook? 
I think the DUP are trying to say that they won't agree to an Irish Language Act and an Irish Language Commissioner and I think the Commissioner is quite key to this process here. They're disputing the fact that a Commissioner would be needed. What they have said and what they have hinted that they would agree to is some kind of cultural act which will include the Irish language but also include other minority languages and also will include culture and, and heritage and all sorts of other things so into that will come a lot of stuff to do with the, the um, orange culture and a lot of stuff to do with parading and all sorts of other things and they're trying to see if they can make that into one agreement which would I think be something that they could sell to their base but I'm not sure Sinn Féin could because it would fall far short of what they had promised and what we've you know we've heard is, is the red line in relation to return to Stormont so that's, that's where we're at at the minute and I think that's quite difficult and also the petition of concern so in the past, the DUP have said, well, scrap it, do away with it, we don't need it. Now they're saying it's essential that it remains to protect minorities because in the meantime, and in the last three years, in the last few elections, they have now become the minority. They don't have a, a unionist majority at Stormont. They don't have a unionist majority that they can return them out. There was more nationalist MPs returned to Westminster than unionist. And so they're keen now to preserve that mechanism. Um, what we've heard from the other smaller parties is that they've come up with an idea to try and bring it right back to where it would have been at the Good Friday Agreement before it was, t- it was sort of tinkered with and tampered with a bit at, at St Andrew's Agreement and the DUP are opposed to that. That's really important because we're coming into the Brexit withdrawal agreement going to go through at the end of January and once that goes through there will be issues of that Brexit trade deal and hard trade works here which will be devolved I mean obviously they'll be very local in relation to security and management reports and all sorts of other things and the DUP want to have a say in that and they want to be able to have a say and also have a veto over some aspects of that and that is why the position of concern has once again became quite important to them so these are the two issues that I think are holding things up but as those smaller things hold things up well, then people start to throw all sorts of other things in as well. And so yesterday, I think that what we've seen was that quite unravelling and all sorts of clash of personalities. There's, you know, there's very big personalities up there and some of them don't necessarily get on with each other. I think if they had a choice, there are people that they wouldn't necessarily put themselves alongside of a day, but they're forced together in that environment. And you can see that when it gets down to the, the last few days and the leave here saying will not be pushed into a deal, I have to go to elections, so be it, which I think for them is a, a dangerous tactic. But that's where, where we're at at the minute. And I think it's probably quite frustrating for those who before Christmas thought that they were so close and it was just a matter of getting rid of a few formalities after the Christmas break. So with Julian Smith over, the Secretary of State, over talking to the Prime Minister today, will the likes of Conor and Nagelaga or the Orange Order be mentioned in discussions like that? Because they, they, they are obviously working the politicians that are close to them to the best of their ability to ensure that, in inverted commas, their boys don't cave in. So what we've seen, if you, if you, you know, up at Stormonto for the past few weeks as those talks began, is a lot of lobby groups, a lot of pressure groups realise that they have a captive audience, if you like. These talks take place and some people go into your room and some people don't and a lot of people hang around outside. And so what we have is we have lobby groups up there and they're saying this is an ideal opportunity to get these politicians all in one place, to get a grip of them, you know, to sit them in a room for half an hour and tell them what our agenda is, what we want, what. And so Conor and Gallagher have been up there for quite some time and have been trying to arrange meetings and we know on Sunday they finally, after two failed attempts, got a, a meeting with the Secretary of State. We've also had the business community have been lobbying quite hard. I know that we heard yesterday that they have actually managed to get the five parties to agree 
to try and pass the amendment through Westminster in relation to the withdrawal agreement, which was no um, easy feat whatsoever. Um, so all of those groups have, have been up there. And if you, you read the front page of Irish News today, you'll see that Julian Smith also, just before, just after Christmas, um, had a, a meeting up in Hillsborough with, with loyalist representatives. And I think that that's quite interesting because I think that Downing Street would have had an input into that. What happened before the election, if you remember and cast your mind back, it seems 100 years ago now, but it's not very long ago, is that loyalism was holding those sort of town hall styles, Stop the Betrayal Act meetings, quite angry meetings, quite aggressive meetings, where they had seen that the Boris Johnson deal, which would in effect put a sea down the, a border down the Irish Sea, was a betrayal of them. And we've seen a lot of anger there and a lot of people making all sorts of of allegations and all sorts of threats that should that deal go through, that there would be unrest and civil unrest and possibly blocking of ports and all sorts of other things. Boris Johnson doesn't want this. He does not want that. He wants his withdrawal agreement to go through as smoothly as possible. The three years delay in Brexit haven't done British politics any good at this point in time. They're interested in self-preservation. Not much interested in us, but do not want the headlines around that withdrawal agreement to be that unrest or trouble has broken out in Northern Ireland. So I think from that point of view, you can see that Julian Smith was probably sent on a, a mercy mission to go and meet with those loyalist representatives to try and calm those tensions, to try and reassure them that this wouldn't be the case, that we wouldn't be getting flung into some kind of economic United Ireland after Brexit. Um, and so that was an interesting meeting given the context and given the timing of it. How worried should society be about organisations and groups like that having such a, a say? Because it does say on the front of your paper, the Secretary of State hosted a reception for leading figures, including representatives of political and community organisations linked to the UDA, UVF and Red Hand Commando. Uh, should people be concerned that UDA, UVF and Red Hand Commando are lurking, ready to take action if it doesn't go the way of those that they are putting their trust in at the moment? This is a bizarre situation that wouldn't happen anywhere else. We do not live in a normalised society. We are a post-conflict society and we're supposed to be over 20 years on. As you said there, I have to keep reminding myself when I'm writing at the top of my diary, we're in 2020. Um, you would imagine that those groups should have all been gone or disbanded at this stage. The fact is that they're not, and they have split. So you wouldn't have, if when I would have been writing in, in the past about, as a security journalist about the UDA, you'd have been writing about one organisation. Now you're writing about several organisations fractured into several different sort of autonomous groups that operate independently. Um, the UVF itself, while together, is probably more united. There is obviously splits and differences of opinion within that organisation as well. These groups continue to exist and, and we've seen that just over the weekend with the murder in Craig Fergus which is, is being linked to a very hardline breakaway faction the South East Antrim UDA which are in effect a criminal drug dealing gang the whole they are using, using that name as a flag of convenience but then you have other aspects of loyalism which have in effect moved on and have engaged in, in community and facilitation and peace building and all sorts of other things those are the people I would say Julian Smith would have been targeting to try and see if they could use their influence to calm things. And I wouldn't be surprised, and I, I'm not saying this with any authority, this is just me assuming, that that would have been a directive that would have came 
from Downing Street and from um, people in Whitehall who would have said, you need to calm that down and make sure this does not escalate. We do not need to open up a war on this front in Northern Ireland. You know, post-Brexit, we need to try and make it look as if this is all going to run as smoothly as possible. And I would assume that that would have been what I've been doing with those people, although I have heard where they raised issues over Brexit and the withdrawal agreement and issues over what they seen as a betrayal. There was also discussions in and around legacy and all sorts of other political situations there. And when I asked um, the Secretary of State's office yesterday, in the past, if I'd have asked Secretary of State in the NIO any questions like that, they'd have tried to, to put me off and sent me off on a steer somewhere and you'd argued with them for two days to, to get them to give you a decent response to it. They were quite open about it. And you've seen the statement that's carried in the Irish News today. It wasn't something that they were trying to cover up or hide. I think that it's something that they thought that the Secretary of State, this Secretary of State's a different kettle of fish than the ones we've had previously from the last two, who really didn't bother engaging very much in Northern Ireland at all, who didn't really bother learning about Northern Ireland or learning the lay of the land. He seems genuinely interested to try and get the grips of the situation. And so that's why I think he survived the election. He wouldn't be a great fan of a good friend or fan of Boris Johnson. He was a Remainer. Um, and the Brexit negotiations. The fact that he survived when the rest of the, the Remain cabinet haven't is because I think that Boris Johnson thinks that he's the man to try and keep a lid on things here. And he's doing that by obviously engaging in this kind of, of, of outreach. But you can understand why people would just be baffled and say, you know, why is someone of senior level in the British government meeting with people who are in effect paramilitaries? He may have been meeting with them when they had a, you know, a different hat on, but that's in effect what they remain and what they are. Um, I mean, I've talked at length about why these organisations still exist. There's a lot of responsibility on local government in relation to that and the way funding streams are organised and the way people are facilitated. I think that all that would need to stop if we ever do get a, a new devolved administration up. If you're actually genuinely trying to get rid of organisations, then you stop paying them to exist. Um, but in the meantime, I think that that timing of that meeting was incredibly interesting. I think that you'll find that that was definitely down to Brexit and I would be almost sure that Downing Street had some sort of say in that when I told Julian Smith to try and calm that section of hardline loyalism down because we could see before the election when those meetings were taking place and I know that, you know, Ben Lowry from the newsletter attended one of those meetings. The rest of us weren't allowed in. We were told that there was no press allowed in. And when Ben reported back, he reported back that there was a real anger among them. And people, that will not have gone on list, and it won't have gone on list um, in Downing Street. And I think that that's why we've seen the Secretary of State do what he did just after Christmas. And finally, Alison, is there a possibility that Julian Smith is talking to Boris Johnson today about delaying an election come Monday the 13th of January? He can't delay the election, but he needs to change legislation, so Parliament would need to agree to that. So what happened with um, Karen Bradley, if you remember, and cast your mind way, way, way back, the historical abuse victims that were taking a judicial review to say that she either had to implement or address legislation or call another election, um, and she introduced legislation to delay calling an election to get her out of that high court court case. Um, that runs out, that runs out in, in January the 13th. Um, at which stage we know that civil servants have the power to do certain things now. They don't have the power to do lots of things, but they do have the power to keep things ticking along. Um, although we can see the wheels coming off that in relation to the health service. But um, he would have to change the legislation to give some sort of extension. The DUP, I believe, are pushing for that. You could see that in Gregory Campbell's statement on Sunday where he said we won't be buying Cynthia D just because of the deadline. Um, if so, so do you think he might be buckling? Might he be buckling today? If he 
thinks that he's close to getting a deal and if he thinks that another week or so would make all the difference, well then it would be ways for him to go and ask for an extension. But if he thinks that these people are so far apart that there's no chance of them agreeing and going back anytime soon, well then it would just be a waste of time. It would be a waste of all our time and it would be a delay tactic. If he does call their bluff and, and let an election happen, going by the last three elections we've had, the DUP are going to lose seats and Sinn Féin have going to lose seats as well. I'm not sure that's what either of them want, despite the fact that the DUP have got their guard up at the minute and they're, they're being all bluster and bravado. Um, so, yeah, I think that if he thinks he's close, I can see the sense in asking for an extension. But given that we're hearing that they were shouting and screaming yesterday, it doesn't sound to me like they're too, they're too close at this present time. Alison, always good to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. Alison Morris from the Irish News. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.